Well, I hope you don't miss this morning's message because you were hoping for something a little more complicated. I have a very simple message for you this morning, but a very important one, and one that we must continue to ask ourselves. And that is this. How much arrangement does it take to love? Let me, let me put it a little different way for you. How much preparation will it take for you before you fully commit yourself to the most important relationship of your life? Listen. I'm not supposed to see you. I know, but I just had to see you. I know. You know yeah, I've been wanting to see you all morning. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been thinking about so many things. I just, I have so much to say to you. Me too. Me too. I've had some incredible revelations, and I just had to see you before we oh, got Oh, me too. It, by the way, you look perfect. <laughs> you, I mean, just the way I pictured. But, and, and it's cool, you know I mean? It's really cool that you have that veil over your face because I was thinking, I was thinking this morning that as soon as, as we commit to those vows, that, 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 that the veil between us will be lifted and we'll finally be free to really look into each other's faces, you know I mean? Free to, to cast off our old lives and, and come together in, in a new life, you know? F fully experiencing who we are as individuals by, 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 by giving up and laying down our individuality and receiving our new life together and 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 and, and I'm babbling. No, 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 no. I that's that's exactly what I well, want to do. Well, I'm sorry, I just keep interrupting you because I'm so excited. No, 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 me too, me too. Just, that's I, exactly why I want to postpone the wedding. I'm sorry, do what? Okay, hear me out. I've got it all worked out. Really. Sweet. Good. Okay. Okay, okay. For all these years, I've been developing my character, right? Through school and through the guidance of my parents. But now that I'm free from school and free from my parents, I see that I'm free from my old way of life, my old self. And of course, I don't want to bind myself to your life yet because I haven't lived my life yet. I mean, I need to get out there and experience life. And then I can you know, shape my own destiny and not have it shaped by taking on your life. And then I can come back to you in control of my life. And then I'll be free to walk into a new life built on one I had made. You're kidding, right? I, I know I have terrible timing. <laughs> but I just, I just want us to be free to have fullness in our marriage. And I don't see how we can do that unless I establish my own life. I mean, if I commit to you now, I'll lose my life without gaining anything. Well, you don't think going through life experiences with me will gain you anything? I just want to have my life set so that I can do all my growing before we get married and then we can start on solid ground. Solid ground. Solid ground, solid ground. I just want everything to be perfect. I just want to be with you. How much preparation do you require before you will fully commit yourself to the most important relationship of your life? It is no accident that the Bible calls Christ the bridegroom. 
and that the Bible calls his church the bride. Because many of the objections, many of the hesitancies you heard from this bride come from this bride. Because we feel like Maybe we're not ready for a full commitment yet. Maybe there's a lot of preparation we need to do yet. Maybe there are a lot of things in our life that we need to get in order so that we can have a successful relationship. It is not startling to hear that. That's the mentality that you hear every day. The problem is, (laughs) the Bible says the opposite. Let me tell you why I say that. First of all, let me tell you not to feel reticent. Uh, to admit that there are a lot of hang-ups in our lives before we fully commit. It's not at all uh, shameful to admit that because it's a part of the nature of living in a lost world, of being lost ourselves for so long. We're born lost. We're, we're, we, we come into a world where we're separated from God. We're strangers to the covenant, the Bible says. Now, something happens to people, to the mentality of people, when they're lost for a very long time. I read an interesting article uh, uh, a week or so ago, or an interesting um, um, little tidbit. And it said this, that there is a phenomena that happens to people when they're actually geographically lost. That at first when they're lost, they are so frightened. They're afraid for their own survival. But as... The, the time of their being lost becomes longer, then their fear gets pointed toward other people. As a matter of fact, many times they will not answer to the voices of their rescuers calling because they have become suspicious that maybe these rescuers aren't rescuers after all. Maybe these rescuers mean to do them harm. And so, not only with adults, but also with children, if they're lost for an extended period of time, they will actually avoid being found because they've been lost for so long, they are now paranoid of harm that may come to them from their rescuers. I want to tell you that's not unusual because how many of us resisted the call of God in our lives? When he called us, we said, oh, no, I'm not sure what he requires. Maybe this isn't all for my good. Maybe he's asking more than I can give, and I'm just going to resist. Well, that's a part of the mentality of being lost. But we carry that mentality with us as we continue to believe that there's something in our lives that we need to arrange before we can fully commit to God. Here is the biggest lie the devil ever sold the world. And it's a big lie because it sounds so true. Listen to this. You know what? You're not worthy to go into a relationship with God right now. There are several things you need to get right straight in your life. And then when you get those things straight in your life, then... You can go in and have a wonderful relationship with God. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? There's only a couple of problems with that. First of all, we never get those things straight. Because there are always other things to straighten out. 
And second of all, we can't get them straight because if we could get them straight on our own, we wouldn't need a relationship with God. It's just the opposite. The only way we can straighten those things out is to have the relationship with God first. Look at what Scripture says. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verses 14 through 23, there is a, a, a condensed version of the process of sanctification. Now, sanctification is a big word for becoming holy. Big word for holiness. Holiness begins not with our trying to be better, but with a process called, or, or a, a phenomenon called regeneration. Regeneration means that God at some time in our lives implants us with His nature. He puts His nature into us, and that's the beginning of our spiritual lives. There's nothing we've done, it's His nature comes in us, and our lives, our, our, our hearts wake up spiritually. And then the process goes on from there to separate us more and more from the world and the, and the captivity of sin and, and, and bring us closer and closer to the person of God. Look at what it says. And watch the order here. Starting with verse 5. For if... Now, really, that word ought to be translated since. In Greek, it's much stronger. And you've got to realize he's talking to Christians here. And so... The words itself presume that this has already happened. For since we have become united with Him. Notice the verb there. We have become. Look, this thing, for you, if you're a Christian, has already happened. You're still preparing for it. It's already there. God started without you. You know, it's already there. We carry this mentality of, oh, i got to get ready for this, i got to get ready for this. No. If we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. You may carry around the habits of past sin. You may keep them alive. But that past sin, when you became a Christian, was totally crucified. The nature and the power of that sin was nailed to the cross, and it can't get off. And your old self is gone. You may practice your old self, but it's not your real self. It says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, I want you to get the order of this. First, we are united with Christ. Then, we have a new life, and then we are no longer slaves to sin and we can get rid of it. It doesn't work the other way around. First, we get rid of sin, and then we try to crucify our old selves, and then someday we can be united with God. You see, that's the reverse order. So listen to the biblical order. Now, look at, spring down to verse 11 with me. Even so, then, consider yourself to be dead to sin. Now, this word in, in Greek is, is uh, 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 also um, assume or count yourself. Count yourself dead to sin. And it's also in the present imperative verb tense and mood, which means keep on counting it. 
you got to remind yourself every day, I'm dead to sin. That sin has no power over me anymore. It used to have power in my life before my old life was crucified. But I got a new life, so it doesn't have any power over me. You've got to keep saying that over. You've got to keep reminding yourself, because that's the reality of the fact. It says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. We have, that's a commandment. We have the power over sin we never had without Christ. Now, knowing that, let me ask you a few questions. When you are obedient, when you are moral instead of immoral, are you understanding that that is a morality that is, that is the, the, a part of your intimacy with God, or do you substitute that for intimacy with God? See, that's what we do a lot in our relationships. When we lose the old spark in a marriage... We say, what's the deal here? I'm fixing the car, taking out the trash every day. What's the gripes? And what we've done is we've substituted activity for intimacy. We do the same thing. When we, when we, this is Lent. I don't know how many of you uh, grew up observing Lent. We did. Um, Lent is a, is a church, you won't find it in Scripture. Uh, it's, it's not a scriptural deal. It's a church observance, and it's a way of of identifying with the sufferings of Christ, which you will find in Scripture. Now, many people just give stuff up during Lent, you know? Go give up chocolate, because I love Jesus and just want to do something for Him. And so, and so you know, for, for these, and this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, so we're right in the thick of it. Some of you are nervous right now, because you really want chocolate really bad, or coffee, or whatever. And I want to tell you that's all right. And if you haven't begun, you think it's, you'd like to do this, well, then you can, still, you can still start it out here. But, but let me ask you why you're doing that. When you give up chocolate, is it every day, oh, gave up chocolate. God must be proud of me. I bet he loves me now because I've proven he's more important than chocolate. But every day when you give up chocolate, you're just shaking, you know. You go, oh man, I wish I had some chocolate, but I love God. <laughs> or, and this is a very subtle difference, when you begin to want what you've given up, do you say to yourself, how much Christ must have given up for me? How much? He gave up heaven for me. He gave up his life for me. He gave up comfort for me. He gave up everything for me. How much does this remind me of his love for me? Do you see the difference? One, you're concentrating on your absence of chocolate. And the other, you're concentrating on Christ. There's a tremendous difference. Let me ask you, in all of your love, do you substitute the works for the closeness? Let me ask you another question, a little bit more subtle. Are you working toward love or are you working from love? Most people, when they get in a relationship, work and make improvements in their life so that they will be loved more by another person. That, by the way, is a very dangerous uh, position to be in and leads to disappointment because many, point, many times the other person doesn't notice. And, and so you're crushed because you've been, you've been doing all this so that they'll love you more. 
The biblical root is the opposite, and that's to assume love and work from that. Now, let me give you an illustration of that. I just learned this this week. This is, this is a very uh, interesting thing to me, and it just kind of fit into what I was saying here, so I'll tell you. Um, my grandfather uh, never went to church when I was growing up. I, we were, my sister and I were uh, raised a good deal uh, with my grandparents. Uh, every Saturday night, we'd go there, and I, we'd watch Lawrence Welk with my grandmother, and uh, and then I'd watch uh, Gillette fights, Friday night or Saturday night fights with my grandfather. You know, we were very close to them. Then Sunday morning, we went to First Methodist Church. My grandmother and my sister and I. First Methodist fruit on the hats of the ladies, and <laughs> very high church. You know, feathers sometimes going out that way. And every time we'd get ready to go to church, I always wanted. I was so close to my grandfather. I said, "Pop, go to church with us." No, he'd say. I'll stay here and watch the roast. How many of you had people in your family stayed home and watched the roast so the roast wouldn't burn? You guys go ahead. And there are some times I thought, he really wants to go because he really, you know, you could see it in his eyes. He, he really is this close to coming to church with him. And I just wanted to worship with him because I love my grandfather. I just wanted to have that kind of closeness with him. It was just this week because Beck and, and Joel and I uh, flew up to uh, see my dad. And I went to see my aunt, Frances, charismatic Catholic lady. She's always been on fire. And, uh, and she, tells, she tells, you know, when you go to see old relatives, they just tell you about their, I mean, you don't even need to say a word. You just walk in, sit down, they tell you all about your family. And, they, and she said this to me about Pop. She said, you never figured out why he didn't go to church, did you? I said, no. She said, I'll tell you a story. When your grandfather married your grandmother, his mother objected on religious grounds. His mother was a member of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. And according to the Christian church, there's only one way to get baptized. And that is, when you're an adult, you are immersed. And unless you're immersed, you haven't really been baptized. Your grandmother was a Methodist. And you know, Methodist sprinkle. It's not how much water, it's just, okay, I'm under the water here. And they not only sprinkle adults, they sprinkle infants. They baptize babies. Well, when your grandfather was in veterinary college and declared that he was going to marry your grandmother, his mother had a fit. It said, you're not going to marry that woman unless both of you are baptized as, an, as adults. And then you'll have God's blessing. Well, my grandmother was a strong woman, just as my grandfather was a strong man. And boy, when you told her something, she just bowed up. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm a Methodist and we don't do things like that. You know? So all his life, my Aunt Frances said he wanted to go to church. He wanted to go be with the people of God. He wanted to hear the messages. But he knew that if he went to church, pretty soon somebody would come up to him and say, you're going to be baptized sometime? And he'd have to make a choice between the way his mother said was only right to be baptized and what his wife said was only right to be baptized. And so therefore, he never went to church. Ever. Now, Paul Harvey's the rest of the story on this is that 
When his mother died, they were burning some personal belongings of, her, of hers and put it in a barrel. And you know sometimes how in a barrel, when you throw stuff in and it's burning, things can float out? He had been baptized as a baby because his baptism certificate came floating out and his mother would never say it, never tell him that. But here's my grandfather who did not form a relationship with God's people and maybe with God, I don't know his heart, because of this little mechanical thing. Because he felt in order to have a relationship, he needed this little deal over here. Now, I'm not trying to call baptism little. I know it's an important part of obedience. But baptism doesn't save you, and the method of baptism doesn't save you. Jesus didn't look over to the, the thief on the cross and say, if you get baptized, today you'll be with me in paradise. But remember, it's got to be by immersion. <laughs> he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. The guy wasn't baptized. It's not baptism that saves us. It's the grace of God that saves us. It's the love of God that saves us. And because we get these mechanics into the process in the wrong order, we can't fully experience the relationship with God or with each other. We got to cut that out. We got to cut that out. It is important to remember that God wired us so that we would improve because we loved someone or someone loved us. Think about it for a minute. How many of you Spend your whole life trying to, improve, trying to improve your lives. You're trying to get better. And you just keep going faster and faster because your definition of getting better is doing more. Your definition of getting better is doing more, more efficiently. And getting more done. Now let me ask you, just between you and I, is your life really improving radically? Are you being transformed? I can almost guarantee you the answer to that is no. Life just seems heavier. You know why it seems heavier? This is a principle of relativity. It's legitimate. Einstein's theory of relativity says that mass increases with velocity. The faster your life gets, the heavier it's going to seem. Life doesn't, life doesn't get better with speed. Life gets better with love. And God made us so that we would improve our lives out of a love relationship. That's why the theory of righteousness is different than the theory of relativity. Theory of righteousness says life gets better as you get closer. Life gets better as you get closer. If you were to do a word study of righteousness, as Paul and Elizabeth Actemeyer have done, both PhDs, teachers of theology, all through Scripture, if you took every time that word righteousness or even holiness was mentioned, you would come out with this definition. Righteousness is meeting the demands of a relationship. It's not behaving better. It's not cleaning up your act. It's not... 50 New Year's resolutions per day that you can keep. It's meeting the demands of a relationship. Righteousness has everything to do with loving God in a more intimate way and nothing to do with, with, with meeting up to sterile, moral, obedient commands. Now, 
we do become more obedient because we love him. Because we, we wouldn't want to do anything that was contrary to his nature. But we don't start there. We don't start there. You've got to start with love because that's how God wired you. If you could look deep in your heart right now, the only reason you want to change is so that you can love somebody better or they'll love you better. I, I almost guarantee it. It's the reason that you want to be the kind of person you want to be is because somebody loved you and you want to live up to who they were. Or it's because, because you love somebody right now and you want to bless them. Or because you want to love somebody in the future and you want to make yourself the kind of person that they're glad to love. You know how I know that? It's how we're wired. Did anybody see, remember an old movie that was out, uh, My Fair Lady, with uh, Audrey Hepburn? Ah, Audrey Hepburn. Now there was an actress. She was so gorgeous. I was in love with her even as a little boy. And uh, it was this, it was this uh, movie about, uh, let me see, who was, Rex Harrison was in that, wasn't he? It was about Eliza Doolittle and, and uh, teaching her to become a lady. Remember that? Well, that, that movie came from the play Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw. And the play Pygmalion came from, a, from an ancient Roman poet, Ovid, in a longer work called The Metamorphosis. And in that wonderful drama, there was a sculptor named Pygmalion. Now, Pygmalion was someone who swore he would never marry. He would never marry because he wanted to devote his entire life to his art, to his craft. And he knew that relationships would only be a distraction. One day he made the most beautiful statue, sculptor of a young girl. And the more he stared into that sculpture, the more he began to fall in love with that work. And in the play, in the drama, Venus, the Roman goddess of love, comes down and brings that statue to life, and he marries her. Now, why has that theme been so popular and so riveting for so many years? It's because that's how we're wired. We aren't wired for self-improvement. We're wired for love. God made us like that. That's where we need to start. We need to recognize that as our motivation. And you need to know this. God will never love you more than He loves you right now. Let me say that again. God will never love you more than He loves you right now. I know some of you are saying, i got to clean up my act so God will really love me someday. He'll never love you more than He loves you right now. You could become another Mother Teresa. He wouldn't love you more than He loves you right now. You could be another Bill of Grant. He wouldn't love you more than he loves you right now. I've been at this thing for 25 years. I've watched those sins that were so powerful in my life become totally powerless through the indwelling nature of God. Now, I still got sins in my life. They're very subtle. And I've got to look. I've got to be careful. And the more I see them, the more unworthy I feel. As a matter of fact... We, we need to understand that. I'm just as unworthy to stand before God as you are. And I will always be as unworthy to stand before God. All of us are unworthy to stand before God. 
But here's the saving grace. He's nuts about us. He's crazy about me. He's crazy about you. It's got nothing to do with our worthiness. It's got everything to do with his love. His nature is to love. So why are we standing off? Why are we saying, oh, I can't get committed here? He expects too much. Look, he knows us. The only, the only platform we have to be together is because we are the group of people who have said we're not worthy. Now, why do once we say that, we try to reverse ourselves and say, but I'm going to be worthy. I'm going to become worthy. No, we're not. The best we can hope for is to keep focusing on how worthy God is until one day we become like he is. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 this, But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. You know what's happening there? Somebody is looking at a mirror and they're saying, you know, I've been thinking about Christ for so long, I'm starting to look like him. I'm starting to take on his nature. Our being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Some, some versions have from one degree of glory to another, and that's exactly the way it reads in the Greek. From glory to glory. Justice from the Lord, the Spirit. How do we get transformed? We get transformed because we accept the fact that God loves us just like we are. Just like we are. And we're grateful enough that we want to love Him back not just like we are, but just like He is. That's how it happens. We concentrate on what it's like to be a good son or a good daughter. What is it like to be a good son or a good daughter? The best thing you can do as a son or a daughter is be with your father. We, we, we went to Ohio this week just for a couple of days. We only had two nights there. Friday night... My son from a college, three and a half hours away, shows up at the door. And we said, Isaac, what are you doing here? This is, this is Friday night. It's Valentine's night. He ought to be out some romancing some woman somewhere. You know, I don't want to date. Doing I said, how did you get here? I bummed a car. Drove three and a half hours. And he knew we had to leave early the next day. But he said, oh, it's worth it. I just want to come over and hang around you for a little bit. Three and a half hours just to hang around Becky and myself and some other family for a couple hours. Now let me ask you, what do you think could have made him a better son than that? The answer is nothing. He could be the president of the universe and never be a better son than somebody who just wants to hang around with his family. We're the same way. Oh, we'll get better. Because as God's nature grows in us, we're going to get better. But first, we've got to get close. Pray with me. God, thanks that being together is the main thing. Thanks that when we come in, and even when the worship services don't go right, or... The sermon stinks. It doesn't matter all that much because we've been together with you. And that is really what matters.
thank you that we don't have to go on self-improvement programs before we can love Christ. Christ is an improvement program. Teach us, Lord God, just to look at Him day after day, just to love Him day after day, just to be your sons and daughters until we finally come to look like you. Amen. Well, before we go, let me invite the prayer team to come forward. And any of you who want to pray, you know, I know week after week you stand in here and your heart wants to go, but your feet won't. That's because God's calling you in your heart. If it wasn't for God's call, there'd be none of you that would want to go. But I know that our feet are lost and they're afraid. And I just want to encourage you to let your feet go with your heart. Especially if you don't have the kind of relationship I was talking about today. The only thing you can think of when you think of God is becoming better or becoming more moral or becoming more perfect. And you just get tired because you don't think I can ever do that. I want you to know you're absolutely right. You never can. Only God can do that in you. And when He does, when you have God living in your heart and you watch things drop off you that used to be powerful, it's a party. It's a party. And so I want to invite you to the party. If that's not your experience, I want you to be able to receive Christ today and the freedom that comes with Christ and not have any other conditions on you. Don't put any other conditions on yourself other than you just want God's love. And some of you have other things you want to pray about. You're already accepting that love and you know you just walk in grace, but you want to stand with another Christian because you got some other things you just need somebody else to help you pray about. They're available to you also. And if you can't come today because you've got other um, um, commitments or you can't swim upstream that long, uh, remember every Wednesday night we pray with people. But whatever your case, I want you to remember this. We have a great God who loves us. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> May the love of God the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit take us from this place and give us the sense of the nearness of God so that someday those sins will just fall away. Amen.